Welcome to the Bread and Circuses Podcast, brought to you by Digital Pizza, where your hosts talk about anything they damn well please. So strap in while Rome burns and enjoy this shit show. Welcome back to episode 32 of the Bread and Circuses podcast. You listeners are in for a special treat tonight. I am Rooster, here with Crow. Crow, you have anything to say? No, I'm, I'm saving it for our guest. Okay, fair enough. Well, we had mentioned having a guest on at some point, and tonight is going to be a lot less talky talk from us and more from him. So without further ado, uh, this is our interview with Matt Christensen. So we mentioned in one of our previous podcasts that we were going to try and have a national guest on, and today we are fortunate to have Matt Christensen with us. Matt, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, Matt's a YouTube personality, media influencer, makeup channel guru, and co-host of Beauty and the Beta podcast <laughs> on the YouTube live stream, uh, heard on all your favorite podcast outlets, and uh, we're uh, we're pretty big fans, actually. Have been for well, yeah, a long I'm, time. Um, I'm really excited. I double dosed my Adderall and I shaved my balls for this. So <laughs> we are set. And most of that intro was correct. Thank you. For that. <laughs> I appreciate it. There might be off a little bit on that. One of us might have made the other one uh, put the other one up to some of that. So, um, you know, Matt. Personally, I've been a big fan of yours for uh, a couple of years now. The the video I first saw of yours was the uh, the jank one about Googling it, you know? <laughs> it's it's so weird. I uh, And actually, I just got done making another jank video because, of course, he had the um, the jank uh, Tucker debate at uh, Politicon. I don't like that, uh, that going after jank appears to have viral appeal, but uh, every time I've discussed something jank-related, it corresponds with, uh, I don't know, some of my biggest videos, but it's not just that one. Even like way back in the day, back in like 2015, Jenk misquoted me on the Young Turks when I was just a lowly Skag3 YouTuber. That was my name, Skag3, my uh, my online moniker. And he misattributed a quote to me and called me a prick. And uh, <laughs> and he, it, you might hear it in the intros of the, of the podcast still, that whole, you hear that sound clip of Jenk going Skag3, whoever that is. That's what that came from. So I've had like, it seems like once a year I talk about Jenk for some reason. And then that ends up being like my most successful stuff, which I mean, I, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to complain about having a video that gets a lot of reach, but I don't, I don't want to be known as like the guy who rips Jenk all the time. You know, <laughs> do you think that has anything to do with how Google does like their algorithms and stuff? Cause the reason I found mm -hmm. it is I think, you know, there's probably some things, you know, videos that, were related to things that might take you down that path and yours came up? I think the, the reason that video was so successful is because it was one of those perfect storm type scenarios that you get that you really want to find as a, a YouTube content creator, which is viral topic that everybody's talking about and kind of a unique, funny and insightful angle to take on it. So the reason that worked is because everybody was looking forward to that debate, myself included. That's why I was talking about it. But the fact that Jenk had this repeated Google it, 
thing he kept saying. And the fact that that just invited, you know, someone to Google it and see what the hell he's talking about. It was, it was just a perfect storm of, um, of factors that made that video successful. I don't know if it was, I'm sure the algorithm plays a part because all that stuff is mostly run on engagement statistics, engagement data. So if it gets a bunch of play and people are liking it, the YouTube algorithm says, oh, well, there's something must be special about this video. Let's start promoting it. And it sort of snowballs that way, you know? Well, it was it was pretty funny the way you delivered it, though. You know, Jenk said, Google it. So I did. I, th- I thought <laughs> yeah, that was... it, yeah, it lined, it just lined itself up perfectly. You know, it's uh, every once in a while you get something that that really works out that way. Yeah, it was, uh, and I did see uh, that latest one you talked about with the Tucker debate, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I, I think Jenk is a pretty, he's a pretty polarizing figure. So that's the thing. I mean, everybody likes, uh, everybody likes a good Jenk takedown, I guess. But I just even I, you could you could spend you could do entirely Jenk response videos as a channel if you wanted. I don't want to go down that path, you know. I just I just want to talk about it when it's necessary or interesting but yeah i mean the the guy he's very interesting in that he makes these kind of claims of certainty and then invites you to look it up and he does that repeatedly and oftentimes when you do look it up he might be half right or he might be simplifying something or he might just be flat out wrong you know he's kind of of trumping it is what you're saying oh yeah yeah i i suppose maybe there is some ironic similarity between those two figures it's just that one person's politics I generally agree with more and the others I think are way uh, <laughs> are way way off but yeah stylistically they might be more similar than Jenk would like to admit so you said early on you were um, you came on a skag um, yeah so were you I'm not sure I, I started listening a long time ago I probably not very beginning of your um, the podcast with uh, with your co-host um, yeah blonde but I did I, I saw your videos before that. I'm like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then I heard about the podcast, started listening to that. But I didn't know, like, originally, were you, like, on Twitch? Were you doing video game commentary? Is that how you started? I uh, yeah, I actually got on YouTube for video game content as okay. uh, as just a pure hobby. You might notice that my channel is still titled Library of Cod Rage. And that is because it was, uh, all I did was make video. So I started on YouTube because I used to play tons of Call of Duty with my friends. And you play call back in the golden days before they started censoring all this stuff and making the chat and the game a lot tougher. It, the great thing about online video games, particularly shooters like Halo, Halo or Call of Duty, was you play with your friends, you have a fun time, and then you end up playing other groups of dudes who just want to talk shit. I don't know if I can swear on your show. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Game, but... <laughs> we do it so all the time. Just, they just want to talk shit, you know, after every game. And... I was I played so much with my friends at the time because I was living in California and uh, it was right after college, and um, and so it was just a way to keep up with all my friends who were in other places across the country, but <laughs> some of these encounters were so hilarious that you just think, I wish I had a recording of some of these like the insane, just the insane fits of rage you would hear from anonymous people on the internet because they lost at a video game. So you're such a good tr- uh, a shit talker that you could trigger people. Is that what you're saying? Well, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the angle I took on it and my friends took on it was we didn't really pick fights. It was not trolling in that, like, we're going to go on there and target someone. It was just like, we play the game. And if someone 
starts talking shit, we indulge them. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, 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 uh, that went on for a couple of years. I was doing that kind of content until like 2014, even into 2015 maybe. And, uh, and I grew the channel to like five, six, 7,000 subscribers. It was, it, it was not, this was not anything I ever imagined being like a career or something. This was just me putting stupid, funny videos online that I thought were fun to make. And then, um, over time, just the way the video games went, like I said, Xbox kind of cracked down on that, like the ability to record in-game chat and they kind of encouraged you into more private chat modes so they could discourage that type of, um, online interaction because this stuff was getting huge on YouTube. My channel wasn't, but there were tons of channels that were specifically dedicated to this like trolling griefing concept. Right. And Microsoft, I think thought it was borderline harassment. And in some cases it probably was. So they kind of cracked down on it. It became much tougher to make that type of content and it was a lot less fun. And so I just kind of transitioned into just doing more commentary stuff. Um, and talking about the news or politics or whatever was going on. And, you know, I, I just kind of had this tiny little channel in a corner of YouTube. And actually, speaking of where I got like a first uh, first break that bumped my audience a lot was, uh, if you remember back in 2015, do you guys know Nicole Arbor? Yep. Nicole Arbor made that video called Dear Fat People that enraged the Internet in the fall of 2015. That made people mad. I, I didn't really hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I made a video at the time that was titled In Defense of Nicole Arbor. Really what it was was a defense of free speech. But it got viral play because vi Nicole Arbor was a viral figure at the time. And I thought that the treatment of her was incredibly unfair. And it was one of the first signs I can remember of people trying to sort of have this mob shutdown of someone because they said the wrong thing or thought the wrong thing. And that is actually because that video took off and it was the biggest video I ever made until the Jenk one you referenced earlier, but because that video took off, it got embedded in a Buzzfeed piece about the online controversy. And apparently when Jenk was covering the story, he read that BuzzFeed piece. There was a general, there were some quotes ripping fat people in the general area embedded in my video. So he misattributed those quotes to me. That is how that happened is a BuzzFeed article had my video linked in it and some random Facebook posts. And Jenk spent about two seconds reading it before he mis misattributed the quote to me, called me a prick. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and various other names. And, uh, and, and so that's like, it, it's strange that even that was connected to Jenk. Like my first big break on YouTube was connected to Jenk indirectly, even though it didn't have anything to do with him from my end, you know? Well, I remember, um, there was one of your videos where you mentioned, um, I, I can't remember which one it was, but you mentioned that you, you suddenly felt like your audience was getting big like you hmm. made that like you I can't remember the specific thing you said, but it was along the lines of, hey, I uh, and I think it was sort of your previous setup where you had the doorway in the background even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just and in you, a different room. And yeah. Yeah. And you said uh, I have yeah a different room in your mother's basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you had said, hey, you know, I, I'm starting to 
I think it was along the lines of I'm not really necessarily able to answer all the comments on videos and yeah yeah and where what sort of number was that for you and did you have like an aha moment like oh this is greater oh shit this is getting big hmm um I can't remember when exactly that happened although if it was at that old setup it probably would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15 20,000 subscriptions somewhere in there Nothing to see is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, what was the second part of the question? I already, I already, it already fell out of my brain. No, it was a whole, it was a whole second question I had. Um, but uh, no, I to finish that one, I think. Uh, did you, did you have a moment when you hit that where you remember being like, "This is awesome. This is really hmm. taken off for me," or, "Holy shit, I might have something here that's bigger than I can, that I was prepared for." Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how it all worked out because that spring of 2016 was where I started to get an audience that was, was real, you know, it was a little bit more than like just, just hobby stuff. And it was maybe something that could be built into something legitimate, something bigger. I don't know, I guess into what it is now, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, but what was going on in my personal life at the time it's just the way that things it's interesting the way things lined up because I had this old, I had a former job, um, that was an all right job. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It provided me with, um, you know, I don't know, a reasonably interesting job with a reasonable and it was, it was very pleasantly mediocre. My job, I would put it that way. <laughs> uh, but I, but it, you know, you know what happened was social justice infected that job just like everything else. And, that's that's that spring of 2016 was when I started to get quote unquote red pilled to use the cliche term at this time. But when you start seeing all this nonsense creeping into your professional life and your social life and, and all that. And I got placed under the management of, um, of just an insufferable micromanager. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do this job anymore for a few reasons. And that was when I decided that was right around the time that my channel was providing a very modest supplementary income. Okay. And so I thought, well, I've worked for, you know, I've worked for five or six years after college, saved money. I could stop this job before I get fired for wrong think anyway, maybe, or, uh, and, and, and just take a shot on myself. And that's, that's actually how it happened. I just, I left that job and I put all my energy into this channel instead and thankfully it worked out. Well, did you, uh, did you think that while you're in your, your job, did you think there was probably a, a very big chance that your, your, uh, persona, your online persona, your YouTube persona was going to kind of get out. Yeah. yeah oh, I yeah. imagine to, that was a big the part point of it. That I was like trying to not to trying to figure out ways on Facebook to not block, but make my coworkers not able to see. <laughs> it's not like I was promoting my YouTube no. on my Facebook, but you know, Sometimes friends discover it. it get, like just that traffic terrified me if it if it got in the hands of uh, certain people at work. So I was trying to strategize that way. Well, we're we're kind of in the same boat there. We have we mm. our our show is is pretty political, and uh, we do a lot of wrong thing. And but yeah. we we don't use our real names. It's Rooster and Crow. And yeah. uh, but we weren't really um, savvy 
setting everything up. So it would only take a hop, skip, and a jump to find out who we really are. <laughs> you know? Sure. So we do that. Do we're, the we're, the yeah. big leap, too, is um, do you guys appear on camera? Or is we it we just, don't. Is this is right now is just podcast. Yeah. When I was doing video game content, I never was actually on camera or almost never. So mm-hmm. it was a little more safe. Mm-hmm. You had a little more plausible deniability. <laughs> and, yeah, it wasn't until later, like into 2016, that I was on camera. Yeah, we're regularly. We're, so yeah, we're worried about that. I, I sort of knew it. Would, I sort of thought it was inevitable at that mm-hmm. point. Well, yeah, there's yeah. a point where you have to kind of like bite the bullet and just get out there and do it and say, forget it. I guess. We, yeah, and I. Uh, I mean, thankfully, I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful to my audience that this worked out the way that it did, um, because it realistically is a choice like it's it's an either or choice it's they're kind of mutually exclusive blonde and i like to joke that we're not hireable (laughs) that we've kind of um excused ourselves from the normal job market by doing this i don't think that that's absolutely true like if our channels were to if something bad were to happen our channels were no longer viable i'm sure there are some niches that we could enter but there's a significant part of the job market if not a majority that that we would be eliminated from based on the content of our channels. And that's uh, I mean, that's the reason that I'm so grateful for the audience that I have because uh, you know, without, <laughs> without them, I, I don't know what it would be like to apply for a quote unquote regular job right now. I think it would be very, very difficult and um, and I owe it to them that the that the gamble paid off. Well, I think in that sense, both Crow and I are pretty lucky in that, you know, Crow is not in any sort of, you know, business like that where wrong things really going to catch up to him. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have my own business, and I think ah. if if people figured out who I was, it it wouldn't it would never. I, I'm stealing. Uh, certainly not to the level, but Adam Carolla's line where he says, look, I built my own pirate ship, you know, do what I want. Yeah. So I don't (laughs) have to worry about getting fired or anything like that. But, um, if I ever, if I ever got controversial and of course I I don't see that happening, you know, it getting big and backfiring, I'd be worried that it would affect the employees I've got, you know, at at the places of business I have. So yeah. Or clientele. I don't know what the business is, but sometimes, you get a you get a reputation, you get bad Yelp reviews or whatever because your opinions aren't correct. Yeah, that that's obviously not something you want to sign up for. You know, um, I was thinking about when you were talking earlier. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was: You seem to be a very diehard defender of free speech, and to be honest, sure. it's one of the reasons I've followed your channel so much. I I've always said, look, you know, it, this comes up for me in the smoking debate a lot of times i'm like i don't like smoking i i think smoking is pretty disgusting to be to be honest but if you're going to defend liberty you have to defend people's you know chance to partake in this legal uh activity and uh do you ever find it tough to defend some people's freedom of speech and you just want to go i really don't want to stand in for this person and say they should be allowed to say that um, but you do uh, it in principle almost never. I think the toughest is actually when it goes against the politics of your audience. You know, um, I can't think of a specific example right now, but there are cases where, um, 
where like members of the political left say things that I think are uh, that I think are crap, but also go well, you know, way, way against the majority of the politics of our audience. But I still have to kind of stand on principle and say, well, we're not going to, we can criticize the speech all we want, but we're not going to call for like punishment over the speech and stuff like that. Um, yeah, few, I guess a few that's examples I mean. that come to mind, like the, uh, like there's a certain segment of our audience and I, I'm not even prepared to say that they're wrong. I, just that I disagree with the, enthusiasm some of them had but like the james gunn uh case for example and all of his tweets i think there are a lot of people that are were probably overly aggressive in trying to ruin his life over it it's a precedent i don't want to set though i understand why people are upset with that sort of thing another example might be um uh like some of the eric holder quotes recently where he kind of toes the line on uh no pun intended. Political violence. Like I'm never going to, def- I'm never going to defend incitement to violence, but yeah. I will defend the very limited, uh, the, 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 the height of the definition of incitement to violence. I think that's so crucial to maintain. We have to keep words and violence as separate things. I mean, we're watching it unfold in the news right now where suddenly anyone who's ever criticized the recipients of these bombs, these quote unquote bombs in the mail is responsible for the bombs being sent in the mail. Well, if that's the case, we're about to outlaw politics. You know, politics is inherently adversarial. Right. And you have to, you have to preserve the right to say controversial adversarial things. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, but my short answer would be, you know, when you go against the political the popular political opinion of your own audience sometimes that gets kind of tough do you feel that uh do you think jim acosta is secretly mad that he hasn't been sent one of these bombs <laughs> like he's looking at it going oh come on i'm somebody i i've been saving my jim acosta clips this week for our sunday show <laughs> even before um even before the bomb stuff he was uh because the controversy before that was Trump came out about the caravan and said, uh, well, I'm a nationalist, as opposed to these globalist interests who don't believe in borders. I'm a nationalist. You got Jim Acosta pressing him in the in the Oval Office. Well, some people think you mean white nationalist. And then he goes on Anderson Cooper's show and says much the same thing. Uh, if Jim Acosta actually got one of these bombs, I mean, the, the victim complex would be even more significant than what we're already seeing on display. That 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 uh, that guy that guy pisses me off for the same reason that a lot of CNN personalities piss me off. It's like Jim Acosta plays for a team, just like I play for a team. In a way, I don't think it's Trump's team, but I I would like to be more aligned with the team of constitutional fidelity, the team that believes in upholding the principles of the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution. Jim Acosta might play for the Democratic Party team or whatever else. The thing that pisses me off about Acosta and CNN, a lot of people say the same, is they they try to pretend like they're nonpartisan, like they're objective, like they don't have this team that they play for, that they're just delivering the facts in unbiased terms. It, Jim Acosta is one of the most slanted reporters out there. It, it wouldn't bother me as much if he was just honest about that, but he's not. I think that cat's out of the bag for most people at this point. Everybody kind of understands mm-hmm. that they're not, there's no unbiased reporting from these outlets at this point. Yeah. I think uh, the interesting debate too is 
is there a such thing as unbiased reporting? And I'm kind of leaning towards the side that maybe there isn't. Maybe rather than being a quote unquote, ob- well, here's the thing. I think we should all aim for objectivity, mm. yeah. but objectivity and neutrality are not the same thing necessarily. I try to be objective in my content. I don't try to be neutral because I'm not going to be neutral with people who I think are trying to sacrifice some of the most important values that built this country into the greatest country the world's ever seen as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not going to just play the middle ground because I see virtue inherently in the middle ground. I'm going to try to play it objectively. And sometimes objective truth is on one side or the other, you know? I the analogy I used with uh, Crow before we started is um, uh, for me Jim Acosta is like the umpire at a baseball game who thinks people have come to see him call balls and strikes. Sure, yeah, that is. Uh, he always he makes himself the center of the show. He's yeah, the Joe right. West of uh, CNN. He's uh, Joe West. Isn't he the guy that blew that perfect game like X many years ago? <laughs> no, I don't think the, that was Joe that West. Same one? Joe West has been uh, he's been around for a long time and he is, you know, he he's one of those guys who just he has to let everybody know every game that he's in charge. He's got yeah. to pick a fight with some manager. And if if somebody has, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big twins fan. And when, uh, yeah, garden hires the face now that I look at it. Yeah. Garden hire got into it with them at the beginning of a season a couple years ago and it lasted the yeah. entire season, man. I missed those fights. Those were, those were uh, good times. Yeah. Paul Molitor wasn't a real explosive manager, so, but we'll see no. who we get now. They're going to hire a new one. I guess. Yeah. Well, they, they named him today. Well, they did this, yeah, what's uh, I, I, he's some unknown guy who's been coaching for the Rays for the last few years. Rocco Baldelli. And he's he's uh, he's the youngest manager in baseball now. I can't even remember his name. Rock, it is uh, yeah. Rocco Baldelli. He used what? to Rocco yeah, yeah, Baldelli. Rocco he was their. Uh, well, the Rays can't just do. Uh, I'm boring crow. Oh, sports how long stuff. are you guys going to talk about sports ball? <laughs> it's like yeah. Uh, uh, crow's braiding his hair right now <laughs> while we do this. Um, but no, Baldelli I know tunes in for my hot baseball tapes. Yeah, um, he used to, uh, he used to play. He was there when the rays were new. He was like their one star. Yeah. And now of course the rays don't do anything in normal fashion. So he's not their bench coach. He was like uh coach of player development and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So there enough baseball. Talk, bro. <laughs> no, let's talk about Joe Maurer's retirement too. Let's keep oh, going. Boy. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I want to circle back around a little bit uh, to <laughs> something I'm interested in. Uh, sure. You, you were talking about the, you, the founding principles, uh, you know, how, how you're, you want to stand up for those. And did you ever consider yourself like anti-gun where because I see you've kind of developed more and more, and now you. I wouldn't say yeah. anti-gun. No, okay. not like. I mean, what do you mean by anti-gun? Like well, I kind of escape the guns or something. Well, well, that's a good point. I don't know exactly maybe, what I mean by anti-gun. Maybe gun paranoid. Yeah, I would say that there was definitely a time where I believed that, and it was before I understood guns and and specifically gun law very well. And I'm my family has been gun owners for some time, and I have. Um, 
been in, I guess, not direct possession of, but like indirect possession and handling of them for some time. So I've never been like fully, I've never been full blown. I'm, I'm, I've never said things like full semi-auto and I've never <laughs> wanted to ban them outright or any of that sort of nonsense. But there was a time where I sort of adopted the, or believed the kind of democratic party talking point of, you know, my common sense gun laws and my universal background checks and all that sort of stuff. And, um, really what, what changed my mind and has actually, I mean, it seems like the more I learn, the more I become a second, a second amendment absolutist. And, uh, you know, you get into like the repeal, the NFA crowd and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's the more, the more than any other debate I, and I don't say this in any kind of celebratory fashion. I'm not happy this is the case, but I honestly believe it is the case. More than any other debate, I think this is one between people who know what they're talking about and people who don't. I really think it is about that simple. And I can testify personally that my opinion changed significantly by understanding firearms and by understanding the current federal law on firearms better. That changed my perspective on these things. And uh, and I think for a lot of people that are anti-gun in that, in that uh, the full semi-auto confiscate, the David Hogg kind of way, right? let's put it that way, the David Hogg believers, I think for a lot of them, if they took, let's say, a couple hours at a range with someone informed and maybe an hour or two crash course on federal gun laws, some or a lot of their perspective might change. There was a even a BuzzFeed video where they went out and shot guns, the try mm-hmm. guys or whatever. They're like, none of us have ever fired them before. And then they were like, they fired yeah. them and we're like, oh, it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. Well, I've, yeah. I've heard you, Matt, say that uh, at one point you said that like full auto weapons, not not full semi-auto, but full 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 <laughs> yeah. auto weapons should be legal and in the hands of civilians. It's, that's a pretty strong stance, you yeah, know, even for I, a Second I, Amendment I proponent. You, I can tell you why. Um, I don't know how interested you are in my philosophy on that. No, all, absolutely. But, um, so inevitably, when you talk about guns and which guns should be Second Amendment protected or not, you get, uh, you know, you get the uh, the left wing edge lords coming at you with, well, does that include nukes? You can use nukes for self defense. So they kind of force you or me into thinking about, well, what is the philosophy of the Second Amendment, and under under that philosophy, what should be protected or what shouldn't be? And the way that I have decided this in my head, uh, and the way that I'd like to see the court decide it, if it ever got that far is that I believe you have the right to self-defense basically with any weapon that is precise enough to eliminate the threat against you without causing significant collateral damage to the property of the lives of others. And I don't think that there's a distinction meaningful enough between an automatic firearm or a semi-automatic firearm in that uh, particular arena. Now, am I comfortable with I, look, I think the market already already regulates nukes pretty well. If you can afford your own nuke, good for you. But that would be the distinction in my mind that says, listen, I'm comfortable with regulation saying a private citizen can't have a nuke because it's not a weapon that's precise enough to defend your life and your property without damaging the life and property of other people in the process. But in, in my estimation, in my judgment, maybe you disagree if, if you do uh, challenge me on it. I don't see that distinction between a fully automatic and a semi-automatic firearm. I think that they are both sufficiently precise to defend your life, your property, without inherently damaging the property or life of another person. Yeah, I, you know, just for me, and I'm as pro-Second Amendment as anybody, 
the the fully automatic weapons is the first thing that makes me you know sort of go uh, okay let's think about that for a second i i can't honestly say i have a great argument against it but it's that my first reaction to it is maybe we should back off there but i don't think it's one that is likely to be i don't think my argument is necessarily likely to be politically successful on like a national scale because i think a lot of people just like they have a gut level dislike for it, just like you said, you know, um, I let's put it this way. If <laughs> if uh, automatic firearms were the only concession I had to make and it would stop there. Fair enough, because I feel that I can defend my property and my um, and my life sufficiently with semi-automatic firearms. I don't feel like I need a um not that need is the argument. You know, I think each individual gets to assess what he thinks he needs. But in my estimation of what I need or want to use for my personal defense, I don't think a fully automatic firearm is necessary in, in that uh, regard. But the, the, the asterisk I would add to that is I, am, I also don't think I should have the right to make the judgment about what you need. So long as you aren't harming my life or my property in the defense of yours, I'm not going to try to take that weapon away from you. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not against fully automatic weapons. Sure. I, I mean, hell, I'd love to own them. But I st- it starts to reach that point where I go, now I'm kind of worried about the other idiots who might own guns. Because being a gun owner and having shot a lot, um, I know some other gun owners that I sometimes think, maybe you shouldn't have one. You know, that I mean, not hmm. that I would want the government to take them away from. I would never want that. I'm just like, you know, just like... It, they're it's like some people shouldn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just you know what I mean? I I some people I it's just like some people I, with cars make me nervous the yeah, way they, they drive. They should have the right, sure. but should they have it? Yeah. Well, it's like I remember uh Scalia one time um the late justice saying, you know, just because you have a freedom of speech doesn't mean you should exercise it. In other words, sometimes you're better off to just shut up. And uh yeah. I think there are some people who, you know, uh, they. I don't want to take away the right to own a gun. Them having one makes me nervous. Maybe you just want to convince them otherwise. That's all. Yeah, because they're not they're not good with them. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's just like I think some people shouldn't have had kids. You know, uh, but yeah. I the, I certainly some people do a hell of a lot of stuff. I don't think they should do <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I don't. It's called freedom. You yep. know? That's yeah, yeah. And I, I understand that's the cost of it and that I think that is the first line where um, liberty, everybody else's liberty starts to make me nervous. I don't care about what yeah. people say. I don't care about any any of that stuff. Fully automatic weapons, they, uh, that's yeah, where the idiots start. You put an AK-47 in my hands, I can rattle off 30, 45 rounds uh, pretty quick and pretty sloppily. <laughs> I guess that's my question, you know, and I, I would like to see – not that I base my decision on what data say, but I do. I would like to see if there was some way to demonstrate this in practice. I wonder if you could have. I don't know how you would do it, but let's say you had you had a school shooting scenario or whatever. I wonder if if you had the exact same school shooting, exact same conditions. Let's say someone has your your standard AR-15 versus like a military M16 or, you know, an, an automatic AK versus a semi-automatic AK, whatever, whatever. Give them those two weapons and see what the damage report is after, keeping all else the same. I bet the damage is almost identical. Yeah, I've always wondered that not. and thought it might be similar because... Uh, I'm actually willing to bet it's less, to be Could honest. Could be. They might be more precise with the semi-auto. 
Yeah, I would because yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if, if you're not and unless you've repeatedly fired and fired, um, and it, it's different from weapon to weapon, that that gun will jump all over on you. I mean, that's what I yeah. when you talked about people who don't understand versus people who do. I remember, um, you know, it was one of the few points that Bill Maher made that I agreed with. He goes, we have to stop having this argument on the left because we don't know shit about guns. Yeah. And, you know, people don't understand that a gun is not a magic weapon. You point at someone that kills everything. That or, or, you can, or you can wing them if you want to. Yeah. Like cops should just shoot for knees. Yeah, shoot them in the knee. <laughs> but that a gun is a mechanic. It's an explosive mechanical tool that does not cooperate with you just because of the physics involved in trying to hit sure. something. It fights you. We uh, yeah. Crow's got a, um, a Tavor we went and fired. Yeah. And, oh, cool. That thing jumps all over the place. Yeah, it's actually huh. jumps. My AK-47 is much easier to fire and, and much easier to hit the target with. At this point, I mean, I haven't done a lot of Tavor shooting yet, but yeah, yeah right out, right out of the box, right off the bat, I was it was easier to fire that folding stock AK-47 and hit yeah. what I'm aiming at. So sure. it was a little bit weird. Let me put it this way too: if we lived in a if we lived in a society where I thought the greatest threat to liberty is that I can't or it's very, very difficult for me to own a, an automatic firearm, that would be a, a society I'd be very content with. You yeah, know, I, on the yeah, list of threats to liberty, that would be pretty uh, low on my priority list. But I guess what I'm saying is I've had to think about this issue as a matter of theory and principle as opposed to like, I don't know, as opposed to just kind of gut level, what do I want, what kind of weapons do I want my neighbor to have or not? <laughs> and that's, because my my philosophy of the Second Amendment works out that way, I can't articulate a reason why I should be allowed to have a semi-automatic rifle, but not an automatic rifle, all other things the same. So because I can't articulate a distinction that matters under that theory, I have to go with they should be allowed. Yeah, That's kind of how I get there. For me, I admit that it's a uh, it's uh, my feels and sure. it's not an argument and it falls apart right away when someone says, when I say I'm nervous about the fully automatic thing and people say, well, why? And I just, I just go, I, I can't really say, I just, it's one of those things that makes me go, Oh, I get a little nervous, but. Although the range, uh, there's a nice new indoor range near my house, uh, just like a mile down the road and they've got a bunch of cool stuff for rent and they're expanding their, uh, their collection. And now they have automatics, but I haven't been in there uh, lately. Yeah. So I, I actually have to go through Vegas next month. And that was on my short list of things to do is go to one of the ranges with automatics, but it's so freaking expensive, man. Oh yeah. They, and it's, it's insanely expensive. And this, the, the cheapest packages are like, you know, 150 bucks or something. And they give you like 20 rounds for three guns. Okay. So I'm done in two minutes and then I leave for $150. No, thanks. I'm not going to do that. So thankfully I will have cheaper options, uh, right down the street now. Well, isn't your whole state a gun range? Kinda. I mean, public <laughs> public land, sure. Yeah. Uh, the only uh, the only law that we have here, uh, in addition to federal law, is um, you do need to be licensed to concealed carry in cities, not outside of cities. But that's it. Uh, we actually had a law in Montana. I believe that it's still on the books, though the feds challenged it and said that they'd still prosecute people anyway. But basically the idea of, um, of all your NFA items, you know, so automatics, uh, your suppressors, um, you know, short barrel rifles, all that stuff. That is, a, that is a federal law that's written under the concept of uh, interstate commerce. 
So the idea is you get, you know, you, all these parts come across through through interstate means, and that's how the feder- the feds have the right to regulate it. Well, Montana said, if we build a supposed NFA item or any other item that's banned or regulated by federal law entirely within the state, and there is no interstate commerce, then fuck off feds, you have nothing to say about this. Uh, but it turns out the feds, are, they're still going to do what they do but i but i believe the law still stands so let's say i had an unregistered short bailed rifle for example and montana state police found me in possession of it i believe they wouldn't that by law that not only would they not do anything about it but i think by law they're forbidden from telling the feds but maybe i'm wrong about that but there was there's been law on the on the books in this state to that effect like we're basically a sanctuary state for nfa guns something like that let's put it that way and speeding so. And not anymore. Yeah, not I know anymore. they changed it, yeah. but I don't know. that was before I was licensed to drive. Unfortunately, I never got to live those days. <laughs> I I made just the tail end of those. So, mm. um, hey Matt, one thing we do on our show all the time is we've got this. Um, we've got this. We call it our lucite brick of questions. It's a game okay. called Table Topics, and it's just okay. little talker things. So you yeah, it's a card with just random questions that we answer, kind of to break up the uh, serious stuff. Okay, yeah. sure. Do you mind doing a couple of these? Sure, go for it. Okay, they're sometimes silly and sometimes kind of fun. So, uh, what's the next fashion trend you'd like to see? I think we should make Crow and answer that one first. Fashion trend? Uh, I don't. Um, well, I don't I mean, know. Every everyone wears more plaid shirts. More <laughs> plaid shirts is always a great thing. If you'd be cool before everybody else was, you were into Maybe it before sus- everybody else was into it. Suspender holsters. <laughs> there we go. As well. On yeah. the outside. Yeah. I just want them to, I just want hot chicks to keep wearing um, leggings or the, the, the yoga pants. That's all I want to keep happening. So uh, I want sure, hipster yeah. neck beards to go away. Mm. Yeah. They can know. do what they want with their beards. Yeah, hipsters. <laughs> Society needs more beards, given how emasculated everything That's is. That's kind of how I feel, especially. You yeah, know, I don't care if they're poor quality ISIS beards or anything. You know? <laughs> well, if you're going to grow the beard, grow the grow the stash too, for crying out loud. Yeah, you know, really yeah, commit to I mean, commit to it. Us, some of us are, uh, you know, some of us have challenge. better beards than others. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't grow a beard on a dare, so. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> um, no shave November's coming up. Yeah, well, I'll look the same at the end of it. So. Um, how about what's your favorite breakfast? Uh, you know, I mostly eat the same breakfast like every morning, Me too. more or less. So I make scrambled eggs and I put a little bit of cheese in there and I chop up some strawberries, bananas, and I make a couple pieces of toast. And that's that's my breakfast more mornings than not. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I the eggs and the hash browns my favorite. That's pretty much it. That's hmm. Yeah, I'm I like, can eat that every morning. I'm if, like, if you ever meet someone who uh, does not like tater tots or hash browns, that's a person <laughs> you don't need in your life. Like, I've, have you ever anybody who says they don't like a McDonald's hash brown, for example? Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's an insane person. I'm I'm married to that woman, so uh, yeah, she, not, like those things are scientifically I, engineered to be as delicious as possible. Yeah, you know, I, I get that people don't like fast food for the ingredients and you know it's bad for you i understand that don't tell me it doesn't taste good though don't tell me that hash brown does not taste good well in minnesota we we do we're famous for the tater tot hot dish so i mean how can you not like tater tots uh, yeah uh the one of the best tater tot things i ever had was uh columbus ohio it's like this weird hot dog place but they had this dish called tater tachos and <laughs> it sounds like what it is it's an it's nachos but there's no chips it's just tater tots and 
it's like instant Midwest obesity, but it, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super I'm in. Good. Sounds good. Yeah. I'm booking yeah. a flight to Columbus. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the place, let me look it up. I think it was called like dirty Frank's even better. Yeah. yeah. It's uh yeah, it's coming up right here. Dirty Frank's hot dog palace in Columbus, Ohio. Dirty Frank's. That's, that yeah. sounds like uh that sounds like a place you could watch movies in the back for a quarter. <laughs> Let me see if it's still on the menu. They got their website here. With the dirty movies? <laughs> they have a whole section of their menu called Big Sloppy Plates. Oh boy. Is there the wow. do, is there a, a bukkake plate? Because then I'm probably not gonna go there. <laughs> they got they got tater tots and they have they do still have tater tachos on the menu. Oh, okay. So if you're in Columbus, Ohio, you know where to go. It's dirty Franks. See if I get them shipped. Um, what, uh, what's the last one? What's the most entertaining concert you've ever seen? Oh boy. Um, you know, uh, the one that sticks out in my mind when I was a junior, junior in college, um, I went and saw Weezer and Blink-182 together at like a amphitheater venue in Washington. And that was pretty fun. And one thing that I will always remember too is, um, is Weezer actually had keyboard cat play them off. That was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Wow. That was like a, that was a nice touch. I used to be, I used to go to a lot of, um, a lot of shows when I was in college in Portland and, uh, there's tons of awesome music venues there and just a lot of smaller bands coming through. I used to go to like multiple a week and, Nah, that's kind of a young man's thing. Like, there's live music isn't as great here um, in uh, in Bozeman, although it is getting better. But I was really, really into that when I was like 18, 19, 20. And uh, kind of, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've, my interest in music has definitely fallen off. But do you, know, you go catch the Gatling brothers or whatever when they get <laughs> nearby? I don't even know what that is. It's like old country dudes. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I feel like maybe I'm trending that way. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Crow here had something about uh, he wanted to do some would you rather's with you. Oh yeah, yeah, I okay, can't. I got, sure. These are great too. So, so okay, would you rather spend six months embedded deep cover with Antifa, or drink a glass of your own urine for breakfast every day for a week? Every day for a week? Yeah, you probably get used to it. I would imagine. Uh, six six months. Like, what do I have to hang out with them every day? Yeah, every day, pretending you're one of them. Like deep for cover. How, how long a day? Uh, like a work shift, like an eight-hour day. So you can come home and, and chill. Do I get paid or? Is uh, it no, free? you just you just get the 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 pleasure of knowing that you've uh, uh, got well, um, you get promised some sort I, I, I think I, but I could I could like could I do a James O'Keefe style expose? Is that sure at the very end? That, yep. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm in a position where I could make something useful out of that. <laughs> so I'd go with that. All right, well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anything to get out of drinking my own pee. I mean, is that... <laughs> All right, I've got one or two. We'll we'll do one or two more. We'll see we'll see how you respond to these. Uh, would you rather give Kathy Griffin a sponge bath or get a uh, neck tattoo in the name of Lactasia? The sponge bath. I'm not kidding. I I don't know. Is it? Uh, yeah, I don't want. I don't want any. Tattoos. Well, you can always you can always do the laser removal of the tattoo. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's sponge bath is not that long. I'll I'll. I'll I'll deal it. I'll deal with it. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that was pretty quick. We'll do another one. Uh, would you rather be banned from all internet activity for a month, which you know, affect you quite a bit, I would imagine, or go clean shaven for a year? Um, I, I really hate being clean shaven. I, I think I could do the month <laughs> and just call it a vacation. There we go. I kind of figured as much. Yeah. yeah I don't, uh, I don't take a ton of time off. So yeah, I'd probably just go that route. I, 
the last i don't even know how long it's been since i've been clean shaven maybe like a year ago the setting on my like trimmer was accidentally too short so it was borderline clean shaven and i just i feel like i look so ridiculous without the kind of half beard that i have like a little baby boy (laughs) it, it makes it makes me look very childlike or plus i don't i don't have like a my jaw my my jawline is like kind of rounder, so I, I don't I don't think I look very. I think it makes me look kind of weak or something. <laughs> so I, I gotta have. I Tell gotta me have more. Lay down on the couch, Matt. Tell <laughs> did, me more. Did you ingest too much soy in Portland? <laughs> uh, no, I mean I don't know. I just I guess I just have kind of rounder facial features. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I got one more here. Um, so would you rather? Uh, Lick Chunk Yuger's sweaty back. Oh, no, no, or, or give the shocker to Amy Schumer. What's the shocker? Oh, we have to explain the shocker? No. <laughs> we'll we'll let him pass on that one. Okay, we'll pass. We'll later. pass that one. I, I can urban dictionary. No, no, that's a, we'll, we'll let that one ride. We'll let that ride. <laughs> I, I'd go the Amy Schumer route on that one. I would I would protest it the whole way, but yeah, I'd, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's it's not too much of a secret that you had said in your channel and everything that you had, uh, you had voted, been at one point an Obama voter. Yeah. Well, okay. at two points, actually, I voted for him both times. So that's 2012 was the last one, right? 2000? Yeah. Okay. I think the last time I definitely voted for Democrats in 14 as well. Like so, in the midterms. yeah, you voted for Hester, didn't you? Or I, Tester. I, I Tester. voted for Tester in 2006 because I was still a Montana voter. I graduated high school in 2006. Gotcha. But I was not here in 2012. I was in California. So that seems to be a short time to go what I would consider to be much farther to the right. Do you think you moved there uh, at a fairly brisk pace or do you feel like the left sort of moved out from under you faster or sort of both? Was it kind of a treadmill effect? Probably it's probably kind of an even split. I actually did take the political compass recently. Uh, if people aren't familiar, that's that kind of four quadrant political alignment map thing. And I used to get kind of square in the middle of left libertarian. Uh, and the idea, so my general philosophy before was like the same pro liberty values socially and culturally that I think I have now, which is like, you should be able to do what you want as long as you're not harming somebody else. But I used to believe much more that the government, uh, could and should have a role in, tax and spend and providing opportunity in areas where opportunity might be lacking. And I've since, if anything's changed in my mind, it's, uh, it's, it's my persuasion about the role of the government in doing that. The role of specifically the federal government providing, well, taking people's money and redistributing it in the name of creating opportunity for those that supposedly lack it. Uh, so I, I took the compass test recently and I got, not center, um, not quite in the center of the libertarian right, still more towards the, the center of, um, of that axis, but still in the, in the right libertarian quadrant. Anyway, that, that's, that's evidence that my answers to those economic questions about, uh, to those economic questions has shifted over time. And I think that makes sense. I mean, I think it's a more consistent philosophy to say that your attitudes about cultural liberty should extend to economic liberty as well. Uh, I think my outlook is a little more consistent now than it used to be. That said, I don't think that my total abandonment of the Democratic Party is strictly due to a shift in my own perspective. 
I think they've gone off the deep end in betraying virtually all of the values uh, that the Bill of Rights um, espouses. And those are things that I think I've believed in mostly through my entire life. Um, but I, I think the Democratic Party is hostile to all of them. I think they're hostile to the First Amendment. I think that's very evident. I think they're hostile to the Second. I think they're hostile to the Fourth and the Fifth. Uh, I certainly think they're hostile to the Tenth. They believe the federal government should be running everything top down. They believe in maximized federal power over maximized state power. So it's very hard. It, it is crazy to think that I was a reliable Democratic voter something like four years ago. And now I look at the party and struggle to think of even one thing that I can agree with them on. So I would say that we've kind of taken equal steps in the opposite direction over about the last four years. Well, I once heard, and this is as someone who's in business for themselves, I, I detest, you know, just regulatory government. I can't stand it. Yeah. And it's, it's not sure. that... It's not that I want companies to be able to dump waste into rivers and pay people 10 cents an hour and, and things like that. But I just, I, I remember, um, I remember seeing killer Mike, uh, talk about, he said, if you really want to do something for black America, take these, you know, inner city black kids as a business person and show them how you got where you went, Yeah, you know? And I think there's no vehicle to do that because I don't think the left wants to see, uh, people migrate out of poverty via capitalism because you know all their new rock stars are socialists yeah, and Marxists. anti-capitalism. I mean, they they really are showing a disdain for capitalism. It's disturbing. Oh yeah, that's very in vogue right now. I think their perspective too relies on that Marxist dichotomy: the oppressor and the oppressed. There always must be a victim class, and if there isn't a victim class, they're kind of aimless. And I'm not saying there is no injustice in this country. I'm not saying there's never exploitation. I'm not saying there are never individual oppressors and individually oppressed people. But I don't believe that, broadly speaking, there are oppressive and victim classes in this country. I think, by and large, this is a, a sufficiently free country. In fact, probably, well, probably not sufficiently free. We could probably get rid of X amount of regulations, X amount of laws. We could maximize the freedom. But the point is, I don't believe that there's some you know, ruling class, whether it's racial or economic, that is holding you down. I think for the most part, most people are limited only by the restrictions they place on themselves. And unfortunately, one of those restrictions is believing that you are victimized by other people and allowing them to control you. Once you free yourself from that chain and you start taking some risks and putting some bets on yourself, and yes, the other side of that is taking personal responsibility when things don't work out holding yourself accountable. I think that's the number one thing that their philosophy fears is personal responsibility and accountability, you know, introspection, thinking about what you could have done better, thinking about how you can improve your own life, taking control of your own life. Those are the things that, uh, that I don't know. I don't know if they fear. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's like they have an allergy to that sort of thing. And, um, and it's, and it's a shame. I don't want anyone to live in a world believing that they are held down by other people. I'd, and even if you are held down by somebody else, I'd like to see that flipped and used as motivation to overcome that sort of obstacle as opposed to submit to that obstacle. Well, you know, we've got Governor Mumble here in Minnesota who's really pushing is this $15 an hour minimum wage. Is it still Dayton? Yeah. Or is it somebody else? Okay. It, have you heard him talk? He's the guy yeah, so kinda. hopped up on yeah. pain pills. It's uh, I'm not sure he's all there, but, but he's, they're really pushing this $15 an hour minimum wage and 
So local radio station here that was talking about it. And I said, I said, I have a guarantee as an employer, I have a guaranteed $15 an hour plan for you. I said, and it's called show up for work. Yeah. The, the job market here is so insanely good for people looking for hourly work. You can, you can walk into a McDonald's here and yeah, I know people are saying, well, it's McDonald's. What the hell? It still pays. You know, sure. it's not, you got to start somewhere. It's not hard work, but you know, in my business, I'll hire qualified people at, uh, and qualifications, it's not a high bar. Um, it's customer service industry. So for 12, 13 bucks an hour, if they're presentable and see, appear to know what they're doing, if you are, if you know your stuff within a year, you can be at 15 bucks an hour and we still yeah. can't get people to show up. Yeah. That, that's some of the best advice my dad ever gave me is, most he said most of success is just showing up on time and i've had my successes and failures in my life but i've committed myself to showing up on time in this case that means you know we stream every sunday night doesn't matter doesn't matter what else is going on we show up on time no exceptions um and that's been true for me and, and most other people i know who have had success is that uh, it, it, you that things like that like consistency and commitment to your craft, whatever that may be, whether it's flipping burgers or whether it's making a podcast, that is probably the strongest predictor of success than anything else. Well, that if you can commit yourself to that, then it'll generally go the right direction. That's number one. And then to not be part of the problem. So if there's never, yeah. you know, don't bitch, always be part of the solution. And that's, that's yeah. the two oh, things, yeah, yeah. you know, you never complain, complain, complain. That's the guy he's cancer. Get rid of that. Or she's cancer. Get rid of that person. Yeah. But, and it, it seems to yeah. me that that is the, um, that is the current state of the left these days. Yep. It's always complaint, complaint, complaint. And it's it's blame, 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 fingers pointing everywhere else, complaining about how it's everyone else's fault. And maybe there might be truth to that. There are certainly people who have mistreated me in my life, as I'm sure is true with you guys. Yeah. But the, as I said before, those are challenges to overcome. You shouldn't just lay down and you know, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't take your ball and go home just because someone was mean to you or someone made your life a little bit harder. It's a challenge to overcome. Yeah, I take find, it, I find it's always right it's always a good idea to talk shit behind people's back. That's the that's my best advice. For, no, just kidding. <laughs> that's not no. That's, well, but you are sure. very good at it. I'm good at it, but that's not good to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's I think uh, and it's certainly not the only contributing factor, but it certainly doesn't help when we're handing out trophies for ninth place. And everybody's special. Oh, yeah. This stuff has informed my uh, my future parenting philosophy a lot. <laughs> I think uh, I think maybe maybe the pendulum will swing. Maybe I'll be one of those hard ass dads and then the pendulum will swing and my kids will grow up to be the the the, um, the preacher's, the preacher's the daughter participation <laughs> trophy generation, you know? Well, it's funny. And I know um, I know we need to wrap up here, Matt, but, uh, you know, you talk about the parenting thing. I, I thought I was going to be one kind of parent and I've been totally the other. I thought I was going to be the sort of goofy fun dad. And for the most part, I, I have been, except I also wound up being the disciplinarian too. And we've found out that our kids get, you know, one hour of iPad time or video games. It's like you pick yeah. a day. That's it. And uh, I've had so many other parents say, geez, how do you, how do you keep them only to one hour of Fortnite? And I'm like, my kids don't play Fortnite. And it's not because I haven't told them you can, you can't play or I have told them you can't play. I, I have the game. They can play it if they yeah. want, but they choose to budget that hour and do something else. And I'm like, 
what do you mean? How do I keep them to that? I'm, I'm their parent and I tell them. Yeah. And if they don't like me for it, that's fine. My job is not to raise my buddies. My job is to raise kids. I have two exactly. boys who aren't a pain in the ass and a burden on society. Exactly. And you think about the extension of that philosophy. I think one of the biggest disservices you can do to a kid is give them the impression that the world exists to accommodate you. And if you if you have this parenting philosophy that that rewards mediocrity in the way you're describing or praise you know, not that there's anything wrong with being average, but what I'm saying is this participation award type stuff, this idea that like, oh, you know, you're perfect and special just the way you are and, and you shouldn't have expectations or aspirations for more and the world exists to, pr to please and praise you. All of a sudden when your kid walks out at 18 or whenever they walk out, maybe under that philosophy they don't walk out till they're 25 or 30, but when they do walk out, they're going to realize the world doesn't give two fucks about you. <laughs> well, And that, that's so harsh mm -hmm. for someone as an adult to realize. I think that that's behind a lot of this leftist thinking and leftist philosophy too is like, well, I was told that I'm entitled to, you know, entitled to X, Y, and Z stuff or people being nice to me or whatever it might be. And the world's not giving me that. So I'm going to throw a fit about it. Well, the world doesn't know you shit. And if you teach a kid that it does, it's a recipe for a very unhappy kid in the future. Well, I tell my kids all the time to me and mom, you mean everything to the rest yes. of the world. You don't mean anything. Exactly. Go out, yeah. carve your way. Do you, you know, Terry Crews had this great line. Uh, the world is, you know, you're not looking for your piece of the pie. The world is a kitchen. Make your own damn pie. Exactly. And that's, that's what I've told them. And I have had yeah. other parents say, how can you say something so harsh to your kids? And I'm like, it's not harsh. It's, it's said out it's, of it's, love and they should yeah, hear it, it from a parent or someone who cares about them. And you're setting up that crucial foundation that really the safety net should be the parents like you're describing. The reason I'm in position that I am right now, the reason I was able to take the risk to, to, to make this channel successful is because I knew if I fell flat on my face two years ago and this whole thing fell apart, the worst thing that was going to have to happen to me would be uh, taking a shot to my ego and moving in with mom and dad for a little while. Yeah. So yeah, exactly to your point. Like if the world hated me, if the world thought I sucked and this thing crashed and burned, you have the stability of, of a functional home. That, that is who needs to pick up the slack first and foremost. Instead, the solution I guess that a lot of people want is, well, if I fail or what, one, why should I have to work at all? The federal government should pay for half my craft or pay for my necessities. And then, you know, if it, 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 the idea that, um, that society specifically government is going to be your safety net, I think is, uh, is a mistake is a foolish idea and not, not certainly not the ideal one. Obviously family should be the first community charity would even be, uh, would be a, a better fallback after that. Even local government would be a better fallback after that. Federal government should be last, and I think a lot of people want it to be first. And it's just uh, it's an inversion of priorities. I 100% agree. So, well, Matt, really, we have greatly appreciated your time tonight. Well, well before oh, we yeah, before been, we go before we go, okay. Full disclosure here: uh, Matt and I made love on multiple uh, occasions. I I, okay. I I told him I made recordings, and he agreed to be on our show. So, I just I had to get that off my chest. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I had to get it on your chest. <laughs> oh, zing! Yeah. Uh, I don't have my sounders up. I can't oh. my room shut. Came came back fast with that. Oh, wow. One. Way okay. to go! <laughs> Nicely played, sir. I applaud uh, you. It was, it was teed up. Yeah. Wow. Well, still, I mean, that was pretty quick. So. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, we again, Matt, we appreciate your time. Your uh, videos are available on YouTube. You do your regular stream and podcast with uh, Blonde on Beauty in the Beta. Yeah, we, we it was great. And keep doing what you're doing because we're, we're loving it. And I think everybody else is too. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words, guys. Thanks for being on. If you'd like to hear more from Rooster and Crow, our show is called Bread and Circuses Podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app like Podcast Addict. See you. Bye. Bye.